Uh, you know, the window's closing, and also, as you get older, you get more careful with life, because, you know, everything that can go wrong, and that applies to the tennis court as well. You, 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 you can overthink too easily, because there's, you know, the computer is overloaded almost. There's so many memories to latch on to, or your head can start wandering very easily, so you have to really keep it simple and stay in the moment and, and not overanalyze. everyone, John Wertheim here. It is this week's tennis podcast, and we're going to try something new. We do this through Sports Illustrated, of course. We are going to join forces with Tennis Channel and do this as a joint production. Hopefully this will get out to more tennis fans and uh, spread the word about this great sport. We have a special guest for this debut podcast. It is Martina Navratilova. She, of course, is one of the towering figures in tennis, a member of women's tennis's Mount Rushmore. She is a tennis OG. She is a tennis channel commentator, and she's an overall great person to talk to. So we spend about half an hour together. We preview the Australian Open, talk a little bit about Petra Kvitova, talk a bit about what it's like to age as a tennis player. She had some really interesting things to say about that, particularly vis-a-vis Serena Williams. Roger Federer, Rafa Nadal, and Venus Williams as well. So let's bring her in now. I will warn you in advance that her birds in her backyard gave us some audio issues. That was a first on this podcast, but it's all in the name of authenticity. We bring her in now from Florida, about to leave for Melbourne, the great Martina Navratilova. Hey. Hi, John. How are you? I was out playing tennis, actually, earlier. (laughs) I just got back. How'd you play? Uh, We played a couple sets of doubles, (laughs) so... It was fun. Uh, the guy that I played with, he um, he doesn't play doubles at all, and uh, he doesn't really move forward. So we, two, we played three days ago. We got killed by these guys one and one. But today we lost four and four. Actually, we should have won the second set. But it was fun. But the last point, we had such a screwy point. We were all laughing so hard. They're petting these lead cords that would die, and and we were all laughing. And finally, they had this ball over my head. I was laughing so hard, I literally couldn't move. I, I I got the ball. I hope you called it out. I never laughed so hard during a point in my life as I did today. That's so fun. I recognize your uh, I recognize that background noise. Oh yeah, right. The birds. Yep. Yeah, hopefully they'll keep it quiet. If yeah. I start yelling, then they start yelling. So. I like it. It's authentic. We we want to get you to yell, and then the birds <laughs> will yell. Try that too. <laughs> I w- I was thinking that when we spoke in October, a lot has changed in the world since then. Yeah. including Andy Murray being uh Number being one. Um but I wanted to um let, let, we can get to the uh to the Australian Open in a minute. Sounds like you're at the Miami uh aviary. I love it. Yes, it is. Uh, oh yeah, we have uh we have five birds in the in the room. So <laughs> uh, this one, so, oops, okay, I think I need to go to the other room. <laughs> Hang on a second. <laughs> Hang on. We have done dozens and dozens and dozens of these. I think this is the first time a guest has ever had to go in another room because of tropical birds. Yeah, well, you could have stayed yeah, out there. Lychee is a bit. Uh, Lychee uh, can can become quite vocal. Um. So I want. Let's let's. We can get to Australia hardcore in a second. But I want. I, I wanted to ask you a question about momentum. So Serena Kerber Hollop. Federer, Nadal, Murray, Vavrinka, they have all lost a match already this year. Um, I don't know if you saw, in Serena's case, it was uh, an 88 unforced error special. 
I, I, I didn't see it, but when I heard the number, I'm like, that can't be right. Was it two sets or it must have been three sets? I didn't even see the result. Two, two, and she said, uh, she said afterwards it was, it was unprofessional. Um, how much, how much do you think that matters going into a major? Not at all. With Serena, not at all. Maybe with other people more so, but Serena, it's more about confidence and timing, but it doesn't take her long to get that back because, you know, she, she has a lot of time to hit shots because she has so much power off of her serve or the return of serve that, uh, she, she can, you know, keep the points pretty quickly, pretty quick. So uh, timing is not essential, but of course, because she hits it so hard, she still needs to fine tune it. But she, she learns pretty quickly on the job. It's almost like she doesn't really need to practice. As long as she's in decent enough physical shape, the game comes to her pretty quickly. You're not, uh, you're not worried about that, that result to start the year for her? No, it's just more, more than the result. It's just getting older. It, it, everything takes longer. Everything takes longer. The preparation, uh, the recovery, uh, and also getting the feel. Uh, again, Serena doesn't need as much as, as I did, obviously, for, because of the way I played, but still, it gets a little more tricky. You need more reps, I think, but not too many because then you get tired. <laughs> so there's a fine line uh, between um, working hard enough but working too much uh, and, and playing too much. So it's a, it's a fine line for everybody that everybody's got to figure out the tightrope. Uh, but again, for Serena, I think, well, you know what happened about, was it about 2007 when she won the Australian Open after being completely out of shape and played her way into right, shape right. during went, the went, tournament went to Hobart and, and, and winning. Right, right. So, I, but I think the field is stronger now. So if she came in the same way as she did then, she would not get through this in, in this uh, time, this year, with so many players playing well. But uh, but still, you you know she's uh, she she just she just gets better with every match. But I, I love the point you've you've made before about uh, you know how we, we we say youth is wasted on the young, and and you've you've mm. sort of said it's almost like maturity is wasted on the old. That when you get to a certain point in your career, you almost put more pressure on yourself because yep. you you sense the window is uh, the window's closing. How, how Absolutely does that correct. Uh, you know, the window's closing, and also as you get older, you get more careful with life because you know everything that can go wrong, and that applies to the tennis court as well. You, 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 you can overthink too easily because there's, you know, the computer is overloaded almost. There's so many memories to, to latch on to or to that something happens and it reminds you of something that happened that's not necessarily good, and, and you can just, your head can start wandering very easily. So you have to really keep it simple and stay in the moment and, and not overanalyze uh, and just hit the ball, which, of course, Serena doesn't have an issue with that. She always hits it. Uh, but, uh, you know, as well as she hits it and as hard as she hits it, it almost doesn't matter where it goes. She's going to get a a weaker reply and and just keep pushing people off the court but yes you can you can overthink things and and uh and overpressure yourself because you know there's only so many more chances you will have i, I always love the story that, you ever hear the story that uh the you know, monica sellis won some tight you know six four in the third and she won some tight match and they said what was going through your head at that moment and she said, on the car over here, I heard a song, and I didn't know if it was, you know, whatever, Katrina and the Waves or the Go-Go's. That, that's what was going on in her head at 4 all That's in what the, she was uh, thinking about. <laughs> when, you, when she was 17 years old, and uh, there wasn't exactly. a whole lot rattling say, I think she was a teenager still at that point. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's funny, because when you get older, you know, you set up the point, and you play everything just right. Even today, I hit a volley, and, you know, if I had to do it over again, I would do the exact same thing, but I missed it. 
and 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 you set up the point and you have just the right shot and you're concentrating really hard and you just miss it wide or in the net whatever and you don't even know where you went wrong and and you're concentrating in that same volley 10 years earlier you you could close your eyes and you're just smacking away and for a winner you don't even think about it and it's funny what happens i i'm not sure what all happens so uh how do you uh how do you see this event going uh you know to be this close uh is is very tantalizing i'm sure for serena um but uh she's she she's been doing this for she's been chasing so many records now for a while i'm sure that she'll be uh She'll be just thinking about one match at a time and won't be thinking about anything except uh, getting through that one match, and uh, and and that's that. So, um, you know, she has now she's two away. So the next one is not that big a hurdle, I don't think. Uh, although you know she'll have she'll have the open era record. Although the women never really didn't have a closed era because they didn't have a pro tour. Right. Uh, it was just oh, a brief time to, uh, where can I be a some jerk? players played pro, but it was nobody really was kept out of playing the slams. So can I can I be a jerk? Yeah. Don't, don't you think that Margaret Court record is a little bit distorted in the sense oh, absolutely. that absolutely, uh, okay, absolutely. Good. I mean, uh, you know, some eleven eleven uh, Australian Opens, uh, Australian titles. Uh, they were not open then. Some some. Uh, some of them were, but most of them were not, were they? Right. Uh, I don't know how many she well, won. Well, even, even if they were, I mean, you you know yourself. But, but then, you know, it, it was, again, it was a different measuring stick. Right. Uh, as as you know, Chris Chris and I didn't even go down there exactly. a few times. It just didn't matter. The French, we bunch of years we didn't play. Uh, Australian Open, we didn't play okay. because uh, because it, it wasn't as important as, say, Virginia Slims of Los Angeles. Uh, or certainly not as important as the season-ending championships. Uh, that was the third biggest tournament of the year, was the Virginia Slims Championship. So it's a different measuring stick. It was a different measuring stick in Margaret's time, and it was a different measuring stick uh, during Chris and Chris and my time. Uh, now it's all about the majors, and the other tournaments really kind of fall by the wayside, which is unfortunate because I think the tour is the backbone of, of our game. Uh, but, uh, yes, Margaret's Margaret's. Yeah, uh, it is a bit skewed, but it, it, it is 24, so, yeah. You take Serena and Kerber, number one and two, finalists last year. I take the under the other 126 players. Who's uh, who's going to do better at the Australian Open this year, me or you? That's a very good question. I think one of them won't be in the final. I think we'll, I think one of them will and one of them won't, and I cannot tell you who. <laughs> um because it's a pretty much a 50-50 prop proposition. Depends how the draw comes out, um, and 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 if Serena has any surprises early on. I think if she gets into the second week, then she'll just keep getting better and better. Uh, and the schedule is, you know, there there are no back-to-back matches like it was at the at the U.S. Open where she had to play back-to-back matches right. and she was a little tired against uh, Pliskova. Uh, that's not going to be the situation. Uh, so she'll have ideal schedule, ideal preparation, uh, and. Uh, uh, and and pressure's off in a way because she's not the defending champion, so that makes you a little bit takes a little bit of pressure off, even even if it is Serena Williams. Uh, and Kerber, on the other hand, will be feeling because now for the first time she's defending a, a, a major, so it's a different situation there. Um, number one ranking up for grabs, uh, so it, it'll be interesting. But uh, I think one one of them will not be there. Can I, I, be I think a... we'll, we'll see a surprise. Maybe Pliskova. Uh, she she won a tournament already this year, playing well, and she's healthy. So we'll see. I'll be a jerk for the second time in five minutes and point out that Kerber has not won a title since she became number one. Um, 
What about uh, well? Let's get back. We'll get back to Pliskov in a second. But um, you you take you take Murray Djokovic. I'll take the other 126 men. Huh. Who's, who's going to win that bet? Yeah, I think it's a pretty good bet that both of them will be there. I think that's that's more of a sure thing. As the men go, they have been a more predictable bunch than than the women uh, at the top. But. Uh, uh, yeah, it's it, interesting. Uh, I mean, Djokovic really lost his plot. What didn't he serving for the match in the second set match points and starts throwing his racket? And you're talking about last last weekend in Doha, and then, yeah, yeah. Um, and then ends up winning in three. Just made his life a little more uh, uh, interesting. And that match had a lot riding on it. Um, gosh, it's it's hard to pick. But uh, you know, Djokovic won it what six times or seven? Yeah, he's going for seven. I mean, I, w- I always thought. Uh... And you know, I mean, he's. I mean, his record in Australia is a, it's, it's encroaching on Nadal uh, in Paris. I mean, Djokovic's that'd, record that'd, in, that'd in Australia is a joke. I mean, in, in, yeah, yeah. But um, no, I think you're right too. I, I feel like both Murray and Djokovic entered that first tournament of the year. They probably uh, had a little bit of appearance money coming their way in Doha, and then here they are in the third set. It's, thinking like it's the first week of the year, and we're already uh, back on here. That, yeah. that was a pretty intense. I, I thought mental and also physical. Uh, match to have to play on on January 6th or whatever it was but um it'll it'll uh you, you don't think this is the year we see an outsider win one of these uh win one of these majors uh, I mean Dimitrov's playing well he's covering the court so well but you just don't feel like over a five set match he would have enough weight on the ball to be able to sustain it it's such, it's such a different kettle of fish three out of five right. against these top guys because they just can play their average game and and a guy has to redline it a little bit and it's much easier to redline it two out of three than three out of five um and and i thought and also it's and then the longer the match i think djokovic has a slight edge because he's a slighter guy and he can keep it up and the movement is a little more efficient in his movement, I think, uh, than the way he plays than than Andy. Andy puts a little more effort into it, um, and and that can wear you out. But they're both such amazing physical specimens. It would, I would almost feel sorry for for them if they do go five. Imagine imagine the, the exertion in that match. That that's right up there with Nadal and Berdasco and Nadal and Djokovic. Nadal and Djokovic in. Uh... In 2012, I I saw Djokovic. I mean, I was only you know I wasn't there in the stands, obviously, but he he looked to me, he looked even skinnier than he was at the end of last year. I mean, it looks like he has zero body fat right now. Mm. And that, that, it's hard to tell on TV, but uh, but to give you you, 10 you, you can't be too skinny. You can't have too little body fat. You need you, you know you need that because then when you really get into a long long match. The, the the body starts eating itself, starts eating the muscle rather because you you don't have any fat stored. Right, so right. that's not a good idea either. I don't know what his percentage is, but anything below five, it starts getting you know questionable. Four, it's like, it's like you you got no reserves. I, I asked James Blake this last week. Jo- Djokovic obviously has a, a coaching change. Raonic coaching change. Conta's now with Vimfaset. Madison Keys coaching change. How much did these? personnel moves matter at the end of the day i mean how, how much of this is just sort of having someone in your camp who sits there maybe makes a few remarks after the match and how much of this really has a material impact on, on a player i think uh, the, the impact it, it does have an impact there's no doubt about it um 
it just depends on the personal relationship between the two players and also and, and the coaches. I mean, and the coach and the player, and then history. If let's say you you have a coach that was coaching your your next opponent, and especially if there is any kind of a acrimony going on, uh, and and that brings me to another question, which is you know I was very open with my coaches in 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 the, in the when I was playing because I I wanted them to be able to know what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling, and give me feedback and help me to cope with it, et cetera. And there was, you know, I went through really three big coaches in my in my career uh, with, with Dr. Rene Richards and then Micah Stepp and then and Billie Jean King at the end. And, and I didn't feel like I needed to keep anything quiet. Uh, but now there is such turnover with coaches, it seems to me, that I don't know if the players really bear their soul to the coach in case they go somewhere else. I always and then wonder they have about that. a leg exactly. up on them. So exactly. it's a tricky proposition now, I think, with, with coaches, especially if you're talking about emotional stuff or if you say, you know what, when, when the chips are down, I really cannot hit my forehand down the line when I have to. So would you say that to your coach anymore in case they go somewhere else and now they tell it to their next player? And it, it does seem like there's this, it's like in the NBA. I mean, you sort of have this, this pool of applicants and they sort of recycle through. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at a guy like Thomas Hogstead, who's worked with literally half the players in the top 20. Exactly. Um, I wonder if, if you're, maybe this is one reason why, you know, someone like Orsine Williams or someone who's a, who's a family member makes sense. You don't have to worry that if this relationship's over, they're going to tell my next opponent that when I right. play deuce games and after getting broken, I always hit my returns down That's the line. Tricky. But, it's tricky because if you hire somebody outside of, uh, if you go to a new coach and you hire somebody outside of the tour that hasn't really been around, it's great because they don't have any dirt on on you, but they they may you know they don't have any dirt on anybody else right, either. Right, so right. You, you know they're not really current. So it's it's a tricky situation, and and I think it may affect the women more than the guys again because they're more emotional and more internalizing things, etc. But uh, that tension can certainly be there, and uh, it just so depends on on uh, on the personal relationship between the coach and the player. But it it, it is getting definitely more tricky with these uh, musical chairs. You mentioned Pliskova. Give us uh, a couple of other players that you're looking forward to watching or, or that you think have an outside chance of winning this thing. Well, it's nice to see uh, Bouchard back in the mix and, and playing better. Uh, it is a, just a tragedy beyond belief what happened to Petra Kvitova. And thank God she's alive. Could have been worse, but we don't know. She doesn't know if she'll ever be able to hold a racket again. It's just beyond belief. That we we've lost two amazing players this way when Monica Seles was attacked on the court and 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 Petra gets attacked in her own home. I mean, it's just have you, incomprehensible. Have you, uh, you, you know, as a player, her? you worry about your body holding up. You never worry about that. Right. And and then on top of it, it affects her playing hand. Uh, it's uh, just beyond belief. Uh, but um, wishing her all the best. Obviously, we all do. Um, I I don't know. Um, Halep has been working very hard, but then she didn't didn't have a good result. Uh, but she's certainly putting in the putting in the work, and that hopefully will pay off for her. I would like to see her make a breakthrough and, and win one. She's got the game, but she's not been able to pull it together in the big matches. Let's, let's go back to Fedova for a second. Have you have you been in yeah. touch with her? Pardon me? Have you been in touch with her? Petra, yeah, yes. Just uh, just on on the phone, yeah. As, as someone who's able, who sort of knows the landscape and also can probably read read the local press, is there is there more that we should note of the story that, that maybe we're not getting in the uh, 
in, in the English-speaking media? No, no, nothing that I know of, really. Uh, nothing that I know. Yeah. Um, I'll give you another Czech player to make an awkward transition. Have you, have you seen this Siniakova? Yes, I have. Uh, she's got a funny serve, but yeah, she right, makes it right. work. She doesn't really bend her elbow. But she's a great, great fighter, great attitude, works really hard. She gets, she's hard on herself, which can what used to be a, a bit of a minus, but I think now she's channeling it the right way, and she moves really well. She's smart. Uh, playing well in doubles with Krejcikova last year, I think uh, I think I got to the finals of the uh, French Open, and, and uh that really gave her confidence, I think, on the singles court, and uh, now she's she's got a title, uh, which is which is pretty cool. Yeah, so the Czechs are they just keep grinding them yeah, out. Yeah, exactly. No, I, it's funny at the French Open, uh, she and her partner beat Hingis and Mirza when Hingis and right. Mirza were winning everything in sight, and they were you know staring him down. And at one point, they there was a headhunter shot. I mean, here's this, she was 19 years old at the time, and uh, here she is playing this number one doubles team, and. Uh, a Hall of Fame player in Hingis and was not intimidated in the least. And you sort of took you, you took a mental note of that and said this uh, yes. this player's wired the right way. Exactly. I got a um, or look, look, a few men. What, what do you? Um, I don't know. Well, this is flavor see, of the month. I mean, great to see Roger Roger Federer back yeah. uh, again, and, and, and Nadal still grinding it out. But uh, you know, they're seated what nine and sixteen, or, or did uh, did they move up in the seedings because somebody is not playing? It is not official yet, but it looks like uh, it, it looks like those are going to be the numbers. Yeah, so that's a that's a very strange situation, isn't it? Where you know, you have players that potentially could win the whole tournament, and they're seated way down down low. Healthy respect, obviously, for both of them, rightfully so. So, it's it's great to see him back. I, I uh, you know, I hope I hope they can go far in the field, and we'll have some great matches. You just really, really hope that a, a Roger Federer will not play Djokovic in the round of 16. That would just be a travesty. Right. So, just hope that the draw will work out where it still plays plays out kind of the way it should. So, someone said, could you imagine if they gave court assignments based on seating? And, and Roger, Roger Federer had to play court four. What? Yeah, um, well, that will never happen, thankfully. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yes, that would be. Uh, if it was like in the rule book that this is what has to happen, that would be pretty yeah. interesting. Batista Agu you know, will be on. on uh, uh, you know, I don't know, Margaret Corderina, but maybe not even. Not even. <laughs> um, well, I mean, it's obviously personal, but what is it like as someone who's been in this situation? What is it like? You're you're in your thirties and you still can play at a high level, but it's really a, a question of sort of picking your spots and hoping that. Any of a dozen things go right for you. You're coming back after injury. I mean, w- what do you think the mindset is? Is it, you know, I've only got X Grand Slams left. I'm going to go for it, or, or do you still are, are you a little bit tentative? How, how do you see this comeback? You're, not, you're, you're, you're trying not to think about it. Uh, you you think you, uh, you you still have an unlimited amount of time, but you know it's uh, it, that's not realistic. But it, the funny thing is, you still feel the same. The, the drive is the same. The motivation, the the concentration, that's all there. But you lose a little bit of speed. Just and it's not even speed as much as it is the reaction. I know if I ran a sixty-yard dash, maybe I lost over the sixty yards, maybe a foot, maybe two feet. But over sixty yards, that's nothing, right? Right. right. But it's the reaction. I had to almost like say, "Oh, you need to run." There's a drop shot, and there's that split second where you just don't run. You have to make yourself run, and you lose that little bit of edge um, reaction-wise that way rather than you just don't have the speed. Um, and it all adds up. Uh, so 
especially these days when they hit the ball so hard, there's a huge difference between being on top of the ball and then and then reaching up and especially with the, with the one hand uh, with with Roger not having that second hand on the ball, it it's, it's more That's tricky in a way. Um, and, but you feel the same. But you know, I jump I jump for an overhead. I think I'm going to get it, and I, I I jump maybe an inch less. And now instead of being able to put the ball away, I hit a a defensive overhead, or instead of hitting a defensive overhead, I don't hit it at all. I miss it. So um, it's it all adds up, and uh, you know, just a little bit makes a difference at the end. Um, you know, maybe two or three points a set, and that's enough. This applies to Roger. It applies to Serena. I, I would. I'm Venus fascinates me in this respect. Did you ever reach a point in your career where there was such a thing as a sort of a moral victory? I mean, you, you've you've won double-digit majors. C- can you go? Can Roger Federer go to Melbourne? Can Nadal go to Melbourne? And Serena, Serena's well, and say, you know what? I didn't win the trophy, but that was a good event. Or are these players uh, all or nothing? Yes and no. You, uh, getting to the finals of the U.S. Open in '91, uh, I, I beat Steffi Graf, the number one in the world. But then I had nothing left uh, against against Monica in the finals. So yeah, I got to the finals. But once you once you win slams, once you win the majors. Then anything less is 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 a defeat. Even if you if you were not really supposed to be there anymore or not expected to get to the finals, it's still it still is a devastating loss when you when you do lose. So no, there is no such thing as a moral victory for people like Roger Federer or, or Rafael Nadal. I, or I tell you, v- Venus fascinates me in this regard. That she yes. she clearly has figured out a way to stay motivated and to yeah. e- either convince herself or, or you know authentically believe that she's going to win this trophy and I, you know I, it's been I almost agree. 10 years i mean and she has so much to overcome with Sjogren's that right. she has to manage it so well that it takes so much energy just to stay ahead of that uh, uh syndrome to, to combine that with with aging anyway and then playing at this level and having one and now not having one uh, or even been in the final for such a long time i I, I applaud her. I, I don't know if I could could do that to stay motivated when you really don't. I guess she still thinks she can win the the whole thing, or maybe she's just playing for doubles. I don't know. Right. Uh, no, or, 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 or for yeah. her, it is a moral victory to get to the quarters or a semis. But uh, I would find it very frustrating. It's it's hard to keep plugging away. All right, let me. I got two more random ones for you. There mm-hmm. was a um, so there, there was a story in the Daily News, New York Daily News, the other day about Earl Monroe. The uh, the old Nick star, who who a is a huge tennis fan and says like Tennis Channel is his network of choice. But but he also ah. mentioned that in the in this new collective bargaining agreement, the players really made some concessions. The current players who are making, you know, median salary, going to go to eight million dollars. They they made concessions to help the old players like Earl Monroe who who didn't who weren't there for the gravy train. In, in an individual sport in tennis, what do you think the uh, the obligation of the current players. What, what do you think is their obligation to uh, to the generation that preceded them? Well, uh, yes, uh, it's certainly. <laughs> I think there is some. Uh, I don't know what the percentage is that goes to the WTA, uh, if any, uh, from from prize money. I know we were putting, you know, putting about ten percent of the prize money went to the WTA pension fund and and uh, overhead and et cetera. So we put a pretty good chunk of our money um, to the WTA, and I'm not sure what the what the what the deal is uh, these days. But certainly, 
um, it would be nice to feel that you are appreciated, uh, the people that put in the, the hard hard work in the 70s and 80s that are getting something back from the game. So uh, there is a pension fund, uh, but it, it's, it's, not, it's not a whole lot. But you, I think it still helps some people. Do you feel there's that appreciation? Uh, I, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I don't really know enough about how much money goes to these players, so I, I, yeah, I can't I don't, I don't know. on it. I, but I always, it would be uh, nice to, to for, for, for no, I mean, no, no, no former player should go homeless, let's put it that way. Right. I, I always feel like it's a sort I've talked about this with Billie Jean, and I always feel it's almost a sort of double-edged that, you know, you, you marvel today, players have entire teams, and the top players can make tens of million dollars, and, and uh, on the one hand, it, it must sting if you're if you're Billy Jean and you piled in the station wagons to go to events and now you see lesser players making millions of dollars the flip side is great that's that's progress that's that's sort of what we wanted to uh have happen it would it would be something would be really flawed if Maria Sharapova and Serena Williams were carpooling to play the events and in, <laughs> in high kidding, school yeah. gyms so well, it's kind of I mean, nice all the sports have have the, the salaries have gone skyrocketed uh some are just, you know, it's it's not out of control because it, it is what the market gives you. Uh, and tennis players certainly earn it. They don't have guaranteed salary the way these uh, baseball players or football players have, you know, guaranteed contracts. And they, they get injured, they still get paid. Tennis players get injured, you got nothing. So, last question. Did Nick Saban's decision to get rid of Lane Kiffin cost Alabama the national title? I didn't see. I oh, didn't come see on. I was going to give you a uh, – I was following you on Twitter on Sunday. You were, it was so funny to me that uh, you and Chrissy were going back and forth over uh, concussion protocol and whether the, uh, yeah. the the hit on Matt, Hoare, Matt Moore was a cheap shot. Um, it was. You, and uh, the guy should have been thrown out. And even retroactively, he should be out. But, uh, yeah, I do follow here and there. But Julia really doesn't like football, so I, so I backed it out at the half. I, I thought Alabama was going to run away with it, but uh, – the touchdown at the end of the second, uh, first half uh, it helped a lot. So uh, I'm, I'm happy for Clemson. The underdogs won. Yay! <laughs> it was the uh, it was the Kerber Serena of uh, of college yes. football. This is uh, this is great. You've you're taking off when Friday? Uh, I leave uh, Thursday. I get there Saturday. This. I'll see you there. See you down there. Take care. Safe okay, travels. Buddy. Bye. All right, that does it for this week. Now we're off to Australia. That was this week's Sports Illustrated Tennis Podcast. We're going to do another one of these from down under once the Australian Open 2017 gets rolling. Special thanks to our guest, as always, Martina Navratilova. She was terrific and had a lot of interesting things to say. You can see her on the Tennis Channel set. She'll be there for the morning show live before the matches, 10 a.m. Melbourne time on Tennis Channel. She'll be calling matches as well. I'm John Wertheim. Jamie Lasanti is our producer. Again, this was our first Sports Illustrated Tennis Channel joint effort, and we'll be doing more of these as the Australian Open gets underway. A reminder, Tennis Channel will be in Melbourne. Pre-game show starts at 10 a.m. local, which is 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. And then the matches start at 11 a.m. Tennis Channel will be there for two weeks. We'll have another podcast next week. Have a good week, everyone, and talk to you soon. Thank you.